No matter where your business is in Canada, connectivity shouldn't be a concern. Whether your business is rural, remote, or urban, reliable, scalable internet is available to you and your business. Explore Business is expanding our network. With our extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're able to bring you the connectivity your business deserves, with the ability to grow right where you are. With investments in fiber and 5G technology, Explore Business is your new choice for business internet. Get connected with Explore Business today. Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, we'll speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. We'll examine issues, solutions, and hope outside of the city limits. Clearing a New Path podcast is an invitation to listen and learn along with me on the road to building a more united, feminist, anti-racist rural Canada, one rooted in diversity and driven by reconciliation. Let's learn together, clearing a new path. Physician assistants, or PAs, are, in essence, physician extenders. They extend the care of a primary physician. They are not nurses, nurses' assistants, nor are they practical nurses. PAs got their start in the U.S. in the 60s to respond to a shortage and uneven geographical distribution of doctors. Sound familiar? The PA profession alleviated doctors from performing routine technical tasks in hospitals, allowing more patients to be served and physicians to focus where their skills would be better utilized. This rapidly evolved to include utilizing PAs in primary care settings. PAs continue to be a part of the U.S. health system, with almost 130,000 practicing PAs in 225 accredited programs. In Canada, in 1999, the government of Manitoba passed the Clinical Assistant Registration Amendment under the Medical Act. This allowed for the licensing of registered clinical assistants, which later became the registration of physician assistants. There is currently legislation on the books in Ontario, New Brunswick, Alberta, and Manitoba related to the registration of physician assistants. In Nova Scotia, the government has launched a pilot project at the Nova Scotia Health Authority for three PAs to work in orthopedic surgery to help tackle hip and knee surgery wait times. British Columbia has had interest, but currently has no legislation. Getting PAs accredited or recognized legally is often tied to a relationship with the College of Physicians and Surgeons of the province or territory. 
In Canada, the Physician Assistance Program has deep roots in the Canadian military, the first to establish a school and a program. McMaster University and the University of Manitoba currently have PA programs. A PA consortium, which includes the University of Toronto, Northern Ontario School of Medicine, and the Michener Institute for Education at the UHN, has a Bachelor of Science Physician's Assistant degree. Why aren't more rural Canadian communities utilizing the services of PAs? Why are physicians resistant to adding them to their care team? And how can you be proactive in bringing physicians to your rural and or remote communities that are open to working shoulder to shoulder with PAs? This episode, we talked to Eric Demers, a Canadian Armed Forces veteran, a past president of the Canadian Association of Physician Assistants, who currently lives in British Columbia, but works in the Northwest Territories as a physician assistant. And we speak to Dr. Alex Nataros, a primary care physician who just put down roots in Port Hardy, British Columbia, and is advocating to have PAs recognized in British Columbia. Do you want to uh, tell a little bit about uh, yourselves and, and uh, what you're doing and, and maybe a little bit about your past experience? Eric, do you want to go first? Sure. Uh, so I'm a physician assistant. I spent 23 years in the military and I got out in 2018. I now do uh, occupational and emergency uh, medicine or health in a remote mine site. And I live in BC, and I've been trying to get physician assistants recognized uh, to work in British Columbia to help out people like Dr. Nataros and rural residents and just all residents in BC. And Dr. Nataros. I'm Alex Nataros. I've been a physician for the past 10 years, and I'm uh, based in Port Hardy in the northern tip of Vancouver Island. I spent uh, seven years training working in Montreal and rural Quebec, um, as well as uh, a couple of years in northern, northwestern Manitoba, and mostly based in Dauphin, Manitoba. Um, Manitoba is really sort of ground zero for physician assistants in Canada in terms of the training and otherwise, and they've taken a great leadership role. And uh, myself, like uh, many other physicians who've had the opportunity, I worked with a physician assistant in Dauphin over my two years there and was suitably impressed. And uh, as we're going to talk about today, that's certainly been part of my inspiration. And I'm now working in an area where we're having trouble just keeping the doors open in terms of our eMERGE. Um, we've got over 4,000 patients without a primary care provider. I'm new uh, to this community, um, and my deep commitment is to meet the needs of the community. And from my perspective, it's a no-brainer to get PAs on board. What is a physician assistant, and how does that differ from a physician? The short version is physician assistants or physician extenders, uh, so extending the reach of the physician and the services that they render. Um, the long version would be where advanced healthcare provi- professionals who work as physician extenders that can address important challenges in the healthcare system. Uh, we can work in pretty much any medical setting uh, from primary care, rural health, uh, special, specialty services. Um, and we basically mimic the, uh, the, the scope of practice of our 
supervising physician and a negotiated agreement in regards to exactly what that scope is. You can think of it, Shauna, just in terms of what does extender mean, right? So, I mean, we don't have the ability to teleport. Yeah, we can do this Zoom thing or we can do webinars, but it's really not the same as a set of human hands, right? So my human hands can go one place where I am. And uh, and so physically where I am right now is in a clinic space. We have 14 office spaces, rooms here in this clinic space. And a one minute walk out the door is into basically the eMERGE and 16 bed ward. Now, again, these hands can only be in one of those rooms, right? So if I can have another set of those hands uh, in the eMERGE or in what's also adjacent to the eMERGE is the long-term care where we have another 20 beds of people living you know, with dependency issues, um, that makes a difference. We also in Port Hardy have four First Nations, uh, which is I think really the big crisis here is uh, we have four First Nations communities and they are grossly underserved. And I think really the crux of this from my perspective as someone who's deeply committed to and engaged in indigenous healthcare and rural remote healthcare is it's a, a question of systemic racism is we have a grossly underserved population and we have a government in British Columbia that is not proving that it's willing to meet the needs of a indigenous population. The central cause of that is systemic racism, and I think it's atrocious. I'm really happy to hear you say that, because we need to recognize it. So thank you so much for being brave enough to say it as a physician. I appreciate that a lot. How does it work? Who triages? Don't you need somebody to triage to, to direct patients to either an assistant or somebody who needs acute care? I'm just trying to imagine how it works in a in, in your clinic setting and maybe in an emergency setting in a rural remote community. This is one of the confusions is that physician assistants get lumped in with nurses and nurse practitioners, and they're very different. Again, physician assistants are physician extenders. Physicians are different from nurses. So who does the triage is nursing. Nursing assesses, takes vital signs, does all of that. And then again, as physicians and the physician assistants, our role is diagnostic. It's to take the next steps. And so, um, again, the role of the physician assistant for me is to allow me to be in multiple places at once and have faith in that team member uh, to do the work of a medical model. And the medical model is very different from the nursing model. They're both incredibly important, but they're not changeable. And a physician assistant is not interchangeable with a, with a nurse practitioner or a nurse. It's an interesting question because the, the, you know, the team, the medical team mix, which includes many people, like everything from uh, janitorial staff, uh, you know, the, all the way to the to, to doctor, depending on how you kind of look at the hierarchy or if you want to do a kind of a flat type of uh, leadership kind of thing, but everybody is a leader within there. If they don't do their job, it doesn't happen. And it, the team mix is different depending on where you are. So if you're at Sunnybrook in Toronto, uh, you're going to have a team and you're going to have people fighting to get in to do some procedures uh, for that trauma that happens. In a rural setting, you could have the janitor come in to hold a bag or something like that. So, and I, I worked on some Marines where I was the only healthcare provider and added some first aiders. So my trauma team consisted of a sonar operator, a cook, 
and a steward. And that was my, my, my trauma team basically on board the submarine. So wherever you are, you have to find the right skills mix to provide safe and effective care for everybody. Um, so it, it does include lots of people uh, and we, we can't forget, you know, it's not just doctors, nurses, nurse practitioners, PAs, uh, but it's the entire team, including the, the administrative staff. And I think that's an important point there too, right? Is that physician assistants, again, as physician extenders can expand our reach and act in, in physician steads. And Yes, we try, hopefully, to engage and, and work together with the team, with our, physician, with our patient care aides, um, with our custodian staff and otherwise, because exactly as Eric says, it's all hands on deck. We need everyone to be get, delivering good care and working together. And often patients, their most meaningful interactions are non-physicians, non-nurses. It's with the care staff on the front lines, right? And so to be able to have physician assistants who also are communicating and engaging with all these other allied care providers is huge because I have so many hours in a day, right? And so, again, if we can double that, it's a huge impact. There's an, a real arrogance to thinking that we need to have physicians doing all the work. You're talking about very big systemic change. Changing systemic racism is a big change also. But changing this system the way that it is, is having people remo remove their ego, having them ha have to be vulnerable and ask other people for help, move out of the way in some cases and let other people do the work. And are those some of your biggest barriers are, are actually, you know, people who have egos that are afraid of change? I think it's a, really the crux of the issue. You're, you're entirely right, Shauna, is that for one, just speaking to my background, yeah, physicians, we have huge egos typically. And again, we, you know, wear the mantle of having trained for well over 10 years and carrying huge debt. And, you know, from within the first year, often within the few, first few days of med school, we're told we are privileged, special people. Actually, we're not actually told we're privileged. We're just told we're special. So we have this invisible privilege. And, and often that comes with it as a, a cloak of a white coat that they put on in a white coat ceremony. So we're very much indoctrinated with this idea that we're special um, and that we're different and unique. And um, there's historical reasons for it, but I don't actually think it serves our medical system anymore. And I think when you look at the real leaders in our healthcare system in Canada today, people like our president of the Canadian Medical Association, Dr. Alika Fontaine, who's the first Indigenous Canadian Medical Association president, he embodies this in terms of stripping away the ego, stripping away the titles, and just really standing in solidarity with patients, with providers. Our past president, Dr. Catherine Smart, very much the same way in that model. So um, I think we do have new generation of medical leaders, but it takes a long time uh, to cut through. For sure, that uh, sense, I think, is part of the challenge, right, is that we've uh, got to recognize that we have to leave our egos at the door as physicians, as the people who are typically at the top of that hierarchy. We have to say, no, there's rare points when we have to call that hierarchy to order. And those rare points are when the, you know, proverbial shit hits the fan, when there's extreme trauma, crisis, um, code, 
where a patient is in critical straits and we have to call the shots. And again, that's where these things are linked, right? Physician assistants are typically trained in a medical, in a military medical model, which again, the military side is excellent insofar as there's a directive, clear approach. There's a, an appreciation, recognition for the importance of lines of command. And so from my perspective, that's in part where PAs work so well is as physicians, we can be directive, but respectful. And it, the hierarchy is only called to task when it needs to be. Um, and there's an appreciation of that. Unfortunately, this hierarchy is overly called to task and really it's crying wolf too much of the time. Again, there's an arrogance that we're imbued with from the beginnings of our training and it's hard to cut that back. And some programs are more uh, imbued with that arrogance than others. I trained at McGill uh, Medical School, which has apparently come a long ways, but certainly when I trained there, they were very proud of being the first med school in Canada and very proud of their ancient traditions, which were steeped in really white colonial privilege. Yeah, there's definitely large egos and competing interests uh, and so on. And it's difficult for, um, I'm going to use a term, I'm going to make it up here as I go, lay policymakers. Uh, so people that might not know the, the healthcare system or what it takes to make a medical team, the imagination stops at doctor, nurse, and what else? I need three layers of administration and so on. So everything is all there. PAs actually work all across Canada, but you know that's through the Canadian forces. We can't work in a public system in many provinces, but that's increasing now. There's lots of there's there's too much work. We need all hands on deck. Uh, the problem we're just kind of spinning the wheels and not addressing the issue. Rural health is, you know, there might not be as many people uh, in rural or remote areas of our vast country, but uh, the care is much more expensive. So it would make sense to uh, deliver that care in a more efficient, fiscally responsible, safe manner and reach out to more population, give them uh, the care that uh, they well they deserve. I think the one thing to jump in there as well, Shauna, with as as Eric's touched on, is there there's really an irony to this uh, arrogance and this hierarchy, and uh, in that physicians who may not have been exposed to physician assistants or are wary of them, and wary of being replaced by physician assistants, which is a real myth, um, is that again these physician assistants are inherently dependent on the physician. And the reality of this is that done well, physician assistants should empower physicians to actually do more and expand their abilities and expand their scope. I mean, for me, for each physician assistant that I could hire, I could see 600 to 800 more patients. Those are patients who are patients of Dr. Nadaris, right? They're my patients. Yes, the physician assistant is working with them, but again, it only empowers me as a provider. So to say that a physician assistant gets in the way of a physician just shows how little someone maybe is familiar with what physician assistants actually do and, and their ability. Um, certainly in, in the work with Eric and Canadian Association of Physician Assistants, I've polled different uh, physicians and on quite a few early to practice first 10 years of practice physicians working across Canada in, you know, Facebook groups and Twitter and otherwise. And I've been so surprised by how much resistance and pushback there is against physician assistants. Again, that's coming from people who almost without 
without exception, have never worked with a physician assistant, but there's a perception, and it's a faulty one, that PAs are going to take doctors' jobs, which is, again, just the height of arrogance, particularly at this point when we really need all hands on deck right across Canada. Well, I think it's still that colonial way of thinking that I worked this hard to get here. I have, uh, you you mentioned it, you know, 10 years of education. I have uh, debt load, you know, why should I be paying a PA when I'm trying to build my practice? But by the same token, the episode this week is from the Society of Rural Physicians of Canada and the Association of Family Physicians of Canada and their rural report card where, you know, physicians are exhausted and uh, their mental health is, is at risk and that people are traveling two hours not even just to see a specialist, but just to get basic care. So this is a huge solution to a national problem. So the resistance that you're, you're up against is based in ego and colonial thinking, um, as you well pointed out. Eric, how does accreditation happen? So in order to work in the public uh, health system, you need to be... Uh, one, you know, there, there needs to be a mechanism uh, through legislation. Uh, so the, most of the time you get registered through well, all PAs that worked in provinces are either registered or associated with a college of physicians and surgeons, which goes with the relationship that we have with physicians. And now we're dependent in, in, that, in that sense. So in order for... For, for us to fill the gaps in healthcare, and there's many, many gaps uh, to fill, uh, we just need the ability to work in more provinces and expand our, uh, you know, the, our training seats that we have. Currently in Canada, we're stuck just, uh, just under 70 seats at this time which is not enough. Uh, if we take a look at the UK example, they've, they've gone from hundreds to thousands uh, in a matter of years uh, to help out to fill some of the gaps. Now, there's issues with all of that also, uh, but you, you, know, you need to start putting uh, or filling those gaps with care providers or the appropriate care providers. Uh, so just, you know, I'm not saying that we need a PA for every doctor, uh, but we do need, uh, I think we do need PAs to help fill the gaps that are there, maybe refocus some some of the care, how it's delivered. So there's not, you know, we know the urban rural divide of physicians is like a, almost three to one uh, here in Canada, uh, where three physicians work uh, in the urban setting and one works in the rural setting. Now, you know, sure, like maybe you can add three PAs to that rural physician. Uh, that way it's a little bit more of an equal footing in regards to access for, for all the people that are there. And again, just bringing that fiscal aspect of it where it's probably cheaper to have one physician and three PAs than to have, ideally we'd have phys uh, one physician for everybody, but uh, that's not, uh, not very ideal. One thing I thought of is, do you get resistance from patients? I mean, when you walk into a room, Eric, address yourself as a, a PA, a physician assistant, you know, hi, I'm here to, 
treat you? My name's Eric. You know, like, how do they react? Do you get resistance from patients too? I've had varied experience. So like I said, I trained through the military. So I've had the chance to do my clinical uh, across Canada, in BC, uh, in Manitoba, in Ontario, in Quebec. Um, and throughout my training, never had any any issues whatsoever. Some people might have more questions, or some people would prefer to have a physician, and so on. And you know, it's 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 not about me. It's not about PAs. At the end of the day, it's about the care that the patient receives. So, if a patient does not want to receive care from a physician uh, or a person that happens to be a physician or a person that happens to be a PA, or a person that happens to be a nurse practitioner, or a person that happens to be a traditional Chinese medicine, or whatever else, wherever they get their care, that's going to happen. It's, there's just assholes everywhere. <laughs> uh, and that goes on both sides. You mentioned 60, um, only 60 seats, and that is in a particular school. How many schools in Canada train PAs? And then how many people actually get jobs once they uh, graduate? Currently, there's three schools in Canada. The Canadian Forces uh, just uh, closed down their school, not because it, it, it was cheaper to get more seats in the other three schools or more effective for them. I'm not going to speak for them in that regards. Uh, so there's the three programs in Canada, the Northern Ontario School of Medicine, which is the UFT Consortium, McMaster University and the University of Manitoba. Between all three of them right now, there's around 69 seats, 70 seats. The University of Calgary hopefully will start a program in the very near future. Uh, so that's what we have right now. The training itself takes two years. Now, in order to get into the program, you do need to be very competitive. And when I say very competitive, uh, I'm not don't quote me on this, but there's over 100 people per seat applying. Uh, so that's how competitive it needs to be. So you can't just go in saying that I've got you know, my first aid course and I've got my first year of university. That's probably not going to get you in. Uh, you need uh, lots of contact hours depending on the program. I'm not sure all three programs might are similar, but you need some patient contact hours, have an undergrad or at least have most of your undergrads started before you can get into the PA program. Would it be helpful if municipalities, local politicians were advocating for bringing PAs or physicians that are open to working with PAs, smaller, real remote communities that are struggling, struggling to give even basic care? Municipal leaders can actually empower themselves and and look into that and, and try to recruit doctors, physicians that are willing to work with PAs. Am, am I on the right track? I think you are. Um, I've, I've engaged local politicians. I've engaged provincial politicians. I've engaged federal politicians for many years now. Uh, and what's exciting is, you know, in Port Hardy is the community, Dr. Natero's um, a bunch of health leaders and community leaders are coming together to kind of not force the hand of the, the Minister of Health or the College of Physicians and Surgeons, but to open their eyes to, hey, look, like 
we've got a problem, but we're not telling you about our problem. We're telling you about the solution to our problem. You just need to enable us to get this done. I had yesterday a, a patient who themselves had been two years without a family doctor because of our shortage here in Port Hardy. And they're one of our counselors here in Port Hardy. They'd never heard of physician assistants. So yes, I dealt with their medical issue, but then said, by the way, uh, and we had a discussion that way, right? And I've engaged our mayor as well, who's very interested. And so there's a whole push with uh, with Eric and with Canadian Association of Physician Assistants uh, to engage in this and recruit. And I'm very hopeful, that's why I'm taking the time today with you, that your scope and your outreach and your audience can help engage their members of parliament, their members, members of the Legislative Assembly, their local town councils, and say, Honestly, why the hell not do are, are we not having our care needs met? We have a model. It is plug and play. It is actionable. It is ready. It is proven around the world. We don't have enough physicians. Let's give them give them help. And and again, I'm saying here in Port Hardy, I will dig into my own pocket, which is not deep. I'm a fairly new to practice. I've been a doctor for years, and I'm barely paid off my debt. And I'm building a place here in Hardy and otherwise, right? So I don't have a lot to draw on. But at the same time, I am confident that more than pay the salary of a physician assistant, they will more than pay for themselves. I'm pretty sure more than double pay for themselves in the context that I'm working in. So again, what I'm saying is that we need, yes, all political bodies in Canada to say we have a primary care healthcare crisis. We have a model that's actionable, that's deliverable, that strengthens our primary care network. It's also one that is born out of our military tradition. This is something we should take pride in. Our military is trained and worked with physician assistants who've worked and served as Eric has around the world. That's a beautiful thing. This is something that we should embrace and hold up as a model to the world and as a model to our rural and remote communities. I mean, our current model, what are we doing? We've got at CHEO in Ottawa, has called in the Red Cross, right? So we've got a crisis mode that's not actually delivering on basic primary care. This is all preventable. This is occurring because we have an absence of leadership from the most basic level right to the top of our political world. That's pretty powerful. I, I don't think I could add anything to that. These are not uh, unsolvable problems. These are problems with clear solutions. I'm here putting my medical license on the line saying I will take on physician assistance and I will take on the medical legal risk, but you just have to step aside and let me. And so there's no risk to the government. The risk to the government is whatever exists because of your program and our pressure. And so we have to make them feel the fire. I think that's a perfect way to end. Thank you so much, uh, gentlemen. I, I really appreciate your time and your message. So thank you. Want to keep the conversation going? Subscribe to the Clearing a New Path newsletter. Drop me an email, follow the podcast on social media, and or you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm. And the music branding is by The Hankering Studio. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Thames Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga or neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. 
The First Nations communities closest to the studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie, Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. I will speak to many more people across Turtle Island this season, and as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of colonialism, the TRC's calls to action, and to reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth and Creator for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time, 